received some really great questions. Some of them are going to be really um, deep questions, questions that um, are gonna take a moment for you both to think about. Um, they're gonna come from the heart. And some of them are gonna be lighthearted questions. Um, so it's gonna be a, a mix of both. Some of them are about you personally, and some of them are a little bit more about uh, Unitarian Universalism. So we'll, we'll have a, a mix of everything, all right? So I'm gonna put you on the spot first, Rob. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> All right, so um, for those of us who uh, weren't part of the process and maybe weren't here for the service, um, how did you come to decide that you wanted to apply to Fourth Universal Society as a music director? Oh, thank you, great question. Um, it's just a great place. I mean, I, I, the, the answer to that is um, encapsulated in what this institution is, and I can't um, I can't begin to kind of um, talk about what, what interests me specifically, but um, I, I, I guess I could codify to a few things, which is just um, there's so much, I think, programmatic potential here. I think um, it's very clear what Unitarian Universalism stands for. Um, and I find there are several avenues that extend out of that that kind of really interest me as a composer, as someone that likes to work with communities, someone that likes to program music, curate music, curate experiences. I think um, I've just been, I was very attracted to the idea of what Fourth U stood for in the greater union scheme of things. And, and you know, and just with general manures, Unitarian Universalism stands for, I'm still figuring out the UU abbreviation. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, in essence, I feel I can contribute a lot of myself and my concern for, um, Continuity in programming invest in an environment like Fort Hill. So I hope that answers it. I think so. Okay. Thank you. All right. So this question is going to be for both of you. We'll start with Reverend Schuyler. Can you tell us what are your grounding spiritual practices? Oh, good. Um, it's a great question. It's grounding spiritual practices. Something that I think Unitarian Universalists often struggle with because we don't have a prescribed spiritual path or, or practice or tradition. And so um, sometimes we leave ourselves out in the cold a little bit, both as like individuals, but also as communities. So um, it's an important one for us all to think about. What are those things that like keep us, keep us going and keep us grounded? Um, um, for me, there's a number of things. Um, you know, I think getting outside is a big, important one um, recognizing within myself when I need to sit and take a breath and not do anything I was thinking the other day how like rare it is for me just to like sit someplace even in my own living room and just like not do something um, and how I, I imagine that before smartphones and before the internet and before tv people spend a lot of time just sitting there thinking about things and how like that I do that so rare now and so that is a spiritual practice for me noticing my own anxiety about doing that when i'm just, when i don't have something i really need to do but actually just you know like i can just sit here and look out the window or i can just sit here and like allow myself to feel comfortable on my sofa or in a chair or, or something like that um i also find reading to be a spiritual practice um reading in ways that both sort of grip me uh, in my imagination but also ones that open up space for sort of a, a practice. I think poetry does that. Um, I think there's sort of 
prayerful ways of, of reading certain forms of scripture, but also just different kinds of writing that allows you not to necessarily be gripped by a, a thing, but allows to open your space in your mind and heart that you can kind of be more present with the reality around you. So I try to get a look for, for those sort of things. Um, yeah. Thank you. Oh, what's your favorite poem? Oh, I don't know. I have, I was just sorting my poetry uh, shelf yesterday and there's a lot of great stuff out there. I mean, you use love Mary Oliver. Obviously I like Gregory Orr a lot. Uh, Marge Piercy, um, uh, there's uh, just so many. And you hear all my favorite poems who get to be read in the service um, because that's what I try to have a whole Google doc that's like 50 some pages long of all the poetry that I collect and I like and I try to thematically tie him in. So that could give you a good sense of who my favorites are. Great, yeah. thank you for sharing your grounding practices and some of your favorite poems and books of poetry. Thanks. All right, your turn, Rob. All right, so first question was grounding practice. Grounding, right? yeah. So being 5'3", I'm naturally closer to the ground than most people are. Um, when, it, when it comes to, uh, I think, spiritual practice, spiritual grounding, something where I can feel like, a, you know, I'm not, I'm just motivated by my sense of self and not through modalities of capitalism or something where I need to be productive all the time. Um, that's very hard, especially, I think, as a musician where your, your craft and the thing that is your sort of, you know, the thing that makes you you know tense and have to you know refine yourself and constantly self-evaluating and disciplining yourself um is also the thing that gives you that sort of sense of spiritual self right so kind of creating a dichotomy between those two things is very important um something i like to do within the realm of music is well i call it spiraling which isn't quite the best term for it but i think it's most accurate is uh you know just sitting at my piano for 30 minutes a day and just playing what comes to mind in kind of a mindful guided way um, that's something I find myself doing a lot more these days is, um, you know, giving myself kind of ample space and breathing room to, um, you know, improvise ideas at the piano or, in, you know, obviously in some cases it comes with rehearsing material, but I really try to set a separate time of day where I'm making music for the sake of, uh, for the sake of the creation, right, and not for the sake of any sort of outcome-based scenario where there needs to be a deliverable at the end, right? I'm doing it with the intent of destroying it at the end, with the intent of not preserving it. In some time, you know, some cases I'll take a voice memo recording. I'm sure many musicians, creatives do like to do that. You know, I find it very helpful in preserving the moment, but there's nothing like the actual moment itself, right? So I find there's spiritual practice and kind of the transience of not attaching yourself to an outcome when you're improvising on an instrument and just, you know, focusing on this is what I'm making now and that's fine, right? Kind of like um, mandalas, right? That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, yeah. Um, and then the other, the other question was favorite poem? Oh, that was specifically for oh. Skylar because he was mentioning poems, but I have one for you later, so don't worry. Great, okay. <laughs> the uh, it's an Italian poem. Oh, great. Oh, nice. All right, so um, this question is for Skylar. Um, okay. I'm going to ask this one first. How do you, or how does the individualism of the first principle, so the inherent worth and dignity of every person, um, and the community obligation of the seventh principle, so the interconnected web of all existence, um, interfaith or interface to inform 
the living tradition. So how do we combine the individual and the group? Important question, and I appreciate it. For those of you who are new to our congregation into Unitarian Universalism, there are eight principles that are um, commitments that we make, um, that are value statements for us. And, uh, and so the first and the seventh are often sort of seen as important pillars specifically. Um, and, uh, and the first one is more individualistic, the inherent worth and dignity of every person and, and the communitarianism of the seventh principle is also very important. I mean, I think we see these intention constantly in our society, right? The rights that we have extending to certain points until they infringe upon the freedoms and, and rights of other people. Um, and so I think, I mean, for me, I think for our communities, your rights, you know, this is an old line, like your right, your right to swing your arms extend just so far as they don't hit someone else's face. Um, and like, there's part of that for our faith too, right? Like we are able to be here doing what we're doing, pursuing our own spiritual journeys so long as it doesn't actively create harm for other people around us. Um, there's a reason why I think, you know, in, even in the opening, what we say, what we said today, you know, you can have any theological beliefs you want, you can come from anywhere, you can love whoever you want to love, so long as you are united in love and justice, right? So it's not, you can just do anything you want, because that's who you are as a person. You can do anything, you can believe anything, there are limits, and the limits are that things have to be done in love and justice uh, in the commitment to that larger, those larger principles. And how that gets defined, of course, varies depending on where you are and what, what you're doing. Um, but I think it's important that one's individualism does not trump the communal good. And that is, I think, a, that's a fundamental challenge that UU congregations have because we like to be individualistic. Many of us have come from faith communities where we have been harmed, or maybe our individualism has been minima, minimized. Um, or disregarded, um, or not able to be who we really are or want to be. Um, and so we guard that very carefully, and, and as we should, but it also means that sometimes we can be reactive um, to those past traumas. Um, and so here we, we try to do our best to, to affirm everyone's worth and dignity, because it's not about rejecting anyone's, but also saying that we can affirm every individual's worth and dignity, but also say, there are certain behaviors or actions or way of being together that ultimately are, are harmful to other people. And so we want to be careful about that too. Thank you for helping us understand the two and how they can be together. Okay, so Rob, tell us more about the music that inspires you. So this would be your favorite um, it could be your favorite musician, your favorite composition, that would be for that kind of question. Um, and then you can share a little bit about your musical tastes, perhaps. Um, and all right, this is like a long question. So if you forget any, I'll ask it again. And then if you have a song that you love to inspire the rest of us, so one would be what inspires you and you know, your taste, and then what would inspire others? Yeah, great question. And um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to do the, the cop out and say um, my favorite music to create is the one I'm making at the moment, right? Um, I would say, you know, the answer is in front of you, those of you who have worship aids that are reading <laughs> the little program notes I, I include, you know, I, I, you know, I'd be remiss if, you know, as a musician, you're not, of course, um, being conscientious about the music you're picking and, and being passionate about it, especially what's great for you is just, you know, there, there's, um, a lot of justified 
freedom, like, you know, freedom that, that, that can be justified in this sort of music programming process. Um, and I have to answer that, you know, whatever I'm making or playing each week is, of course, my focus for the moment. But I know that's not like the overarching answer. I mean, I, I, have, I have an interest in a variety of different types of music that kind of brought me along the path, you know, um, you know, I studied classical piano literature and um, undergrad, and I played viola, uh, and I played an orchestra. I, I would say my, my favorite my favorite style of music is one where I'm a, a small part of a contributing whole, you know, like where I'm a small part, not like a, you know, like big, like face, like, oh, it's Robert and people behind, you know, I'm like, you know, um, accompanying him. I'm, you know, I'm, for when that happens, I'm happy to put myself into that. But um, I think my, any, it, it really is as kind of ubiquitous as that answer, like anything where I'm, a contributing part to a greater communal good, especially like, you know, for example, like playing last stand viola in a symphony orchestra or, um, you know, playing in a jazz ensemble or even better being part of the orchestration or arranging process of a jazz ensemble. It's really like about the process of being in a larger context for me that literally will define my music taste. So, you know, for example, like um, orchestral literature, um, you know, I've been, you know, I've, the past few years, I've been really into checking out Brazilian music and, um, you know, uh, the idea of like a samba hoda where people are in a circle and playing music. Each person's contributing to the form of the music, but it's not really like the spotlight on one person. Everyone gets their moment, of course, but it's really about like what the unified sound is. So that, it, that really just interests me, like literally anything where people are like justifying a common and established communal good and <laughs> contributing themselves to it in some small way. You know, I, I find that that's the music I'm really attracted to. It's like large ensemble stuff, you know, anything. Um, anything that involves like community. So, and then a specific song, I, uh, <laughs> um, I, it really depends. I'm sorry to cop out again. Um, you know, I, I, it depends on what we're, what we're singing and if it makes sense with what we're doing. I think it's the role of the song more so than the song itself. Um, you know, I, uh, I mean, uh, uh, like, if, if I could go, like, through my iTunes playlists and say, you know, people like, uh, there's, again, a lot of, like, Brazilian musicians that, that, that write incredible music. Um, you know, people like uh, Ginga, uh, the, 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 he's a guitarist from Brazil that plays a lot of the, uh, like, musical popular brasileira, which is, like, you know, music that's emerged in the last, like, 30 years. He's a really amazing songwriter. There's a lot of great, you know, of course, like Duke Ellington, Billy Strayhorn. I mean, you know, people that emerge out of the... Black American music tradition. Um, so much to admire and all of that. Um, any song, again, it's gonna be the cop out that if it's programmatically relevant, I think that um, it will be my favorite and it will be something that I think, you know, I will enjoy and hope to communicate that joy to other people. So I hope that's not a cop out answer. I mean, I just, um, it's really about the context. Yeah, no, it's, it's wonderful. I was telling um, one of our members this morning that what I love about the music is if it inspires me to dance, then you're doing a great job. <laughs> so. I hope others feel inspired to dance by your music too. Uh, so this, um, your response um, leads me to another question for Reverend Schuyler. How do you choose the services on Sundays? Yeah, um, so it's the hardest, one of the hardest things I have to do, I think is choosing the theme um, because it's, uh, it's kind of, it's just this pressure. I feel pressure to think about what is what is, what am I gonna be able to talk about? What's gonna inspire me to think about something 
Um, that's going to be interesting to all of you and engaging um, best I can. Um, and, you know, you sort of, it's like limitless, which is amazing. There's the whole world in Unitarian Universalism. We don't have like a, a, like a scripture reading that I have to base off of like in a lot of Christian congregations do. And that can be very, that's like restrictive, but also guiding. guiding. So um, I try to, I, try, I make, a, I have a list of things that just pop into my mind sometimes of like, what is, maybe it's an article generates maybe I'm going around and, you know, I have an experience of like, oh, I could give a sermon about that. Um, sometimes I've noticed that when like bad things happen to me, those are great sermon topics. Um, and so I, and they're like little ways of, of uh, making them less bad of like, oh, this is unfortunate. At least I get a sermon out of it. Um, and, uh, and that will sometimes be, um, I try to think about like who is, what are the conversations that, the, that our, our country and our world are having right now? Like where are those, those tension points or where they're, where are their values conflicts that are, are interesting to sort of nuance or dissect a little bit? Or, or what, are the, what are the things that need some moral clarity around or at least spoken to? Um, uh, and I try to balance the topics so they're not always the same kind of vibe, right? So it's not like every single week I'm like getting up here and like ranting about some cause that I care about. Um, I try to do have services that are about um, personal stuff, but also about Unitarian Universalism, but also about social justice, um, and also about, you know, uh, I don't know, other things too, that, you know, community connections like we did with the Latimer House a couple weeks ago, um, so that people feel like um, that there's a variety of themes and a variety of ways we're talking about the world, and it's not just always sort of the same note, because I think that gets dull and it gets a little bit preachy, frankly, uh, if you go too much in one direction. So um, I also say that like on the staff level, we talk about it. Like we talk about like what are the upcoming services and like how do we want to do things? And we always look for partnerships like we did with West End Synagogue and, and look for ways of like, okay, who can we work with to create kind of a really interesting thing, right? Like what is, what is a kind of a service that can be an event so that we can all come together and say, here's this cool thing that's happening. Um, and so we try to attune to that too, but um, there is no one way. They all kind of just come in and, and we try to sit down and have the, the month of calendar to go through. All right, so I wanna ask two fun questions and then we can take a break, okay? All right, so my first fun question is, um, Rob, who do you want to win the Super Bowl? So, uh, yeah, so if it's not evidenced by the fact that I erroneously scheduled an Oregon round table um, tonight during the Super Bowl, um, it, I'm not uh, super attentive to the needs of sports especially when they're not New York teams, but I, this is funny. I think you'll, you'll have, I was literally just talking with Cynthia. I should bet, I better memorize the names of the teams who are playing before I come up here, because I'm sure there was going to be some, some questions. So who's playing? The, the Chiefs and the, and the Eagles. Eagles. Philadelphia and Kansas City. I, I, I guess uh, Philadelphia is geographically closer to New York, so I'll offend less people by saying the Eagles. Okay, all right. All right. Sorry, that's not the answer. <laughs> yeah. Eagles fans are happy. All right, Skylar, so are you going to go for the Chiefs? <laughs> well, so I grew up in Wisconsin and we're Packers fans. Um, so I have a pretty strong loyalty to that, but Kansas City is in the Midwest. But my mother's family for generations is from Philadelphia. Um, and they're also NFC team, which is where the Packers are. And so there's some like NFC, AFC rivalry. So I'm really conflicted. Um, I don't know if I'll be at the Oregon thing tonight, not watching Super Bowl either, but um, I'm gonna say I'm probably gonna root for the Eagles too. Yeah. Great, thanks. 
And um, I don't watch football. We, are, we watch the other football in our household, so we do the soccer. <laughs> We're Arsenal fans. All right, and then the other question is, okay, so this is the other fun question. If you could, oh wait, we'll start with Rob. If you could have a pool, an in-ground pool in your backyard, like a very big one, okay, filled with anything, what would it be? So this, this pool is in Manhattan. <laughs> like I have, I have enough surface area to live in in Manhattan where I have a, a pool. Yeah, like you're, you're like um, Rihanna rich, okay? Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> filled with, a pool filled with anything? Anything. I don't know. Um, uh, I, I'm just, maybe water and chlorine. I, I, I'm just, I'm, you know, that that's a nice enough scenario where I think, I, you know, I'm rich enough to afford anything in the pool, like different right. each day. So, um, yeah, I think either that or, or you know, like Bach or or texts or something where I can just like go into the room and read the manuscripts of Bach and then leave or something. Great, perfect. <laughs> All right, Skylar, you're also Rihanna rich. You have this amazing pool in your backyard. What uh, would you fill it with? I'd fill it with, um, make it a gigantic hot tub because I do not like cold water and I would love the idea of swimming in pools, but I would like that and make it chlorine free because I think, you know, there's some, you can, if you have enough money, you can do that and that's better for you, apparently. Um, it's all the rage in the rich people circles. Yes, pond pools. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would do that. I'd stick with good old fashioned water, but you know, chlorine free. Very nice. <laughs> All right, round two is gonna be short and sweet. So you folks can enjoy your coffee hour and ask Skylar and Rob more on the spot questions. <laughs> All right, so Reverend Skylar, can you tell us how parenthood has changed your spirituality? Um, yeah, so um, for those of you who don't know, um, uh, we have a two-year-old in our lives now, uh, Rowan, who is, uh, yeah, he's definitely changed the, both the practical, I think, and also the, the spiritual things about life. I think, I mean, there's a couple ways that I can think about him influencing us. The first is just how you sort of see a sweetness in children and also adults, thus as sort of former children, and you, you recognize the vulnerability of life and also through this desire to protect it. Um, I'm always, it's, it's been surprising thinking about worrying about Rowan as a child and as a person and how protective you are of children and of your own child in a way that you don't necessarily think about, this is I didn't think about before we had him, and how it is at the same time sort of remarkable and disturbing how when people decide to wage wars and bomb cities to not think about all the babies that are there that are in danger, right? Or how, how hard it is to feed babies when you're in a war zone like Ukraine and how much suffering they must be feeling. And, you know, as someone who is responsible for one little child, it's really sort of heartbreaking to think about that all the, throughout history, all the times that things have been bad, that there have been these little beings who, you know, sort of hope and trust in the adults in their world to take care of them and how, um, how you know, we are not, up to the task of living into that trust um, and how much we've failed, you know, the youngest and so most vulnerable amongst us. Um, 
when they have asked us to do that. So that's something that's been sort of sobering for me. Um, and um, I think the sort of the other side of that is that um, you know you don't you don't know sort of what it's been. It's striking to me like how much affection you have for your child, at least you know, and and how much you see yourself being at risk of, sort of being destroyed if something happens to them, and how scary that is. That you know you see how fragile you become in their own fragility. That if something were to happen to him, how uh, it would just it would, it would wreck me. I know in a way that I don't know if I would have ever been wrecked before, um, and so. You know, little beings are very vulnerable. You know, one wrong fall and off they go. Um, and uh, to imagine that, and to imagine that happening, and then having it see your own emotional devastation, is like really something. It's something else. Um, and and so there's sort of a humility and carefulness that I feel like it is inspired within me, where where life's fragility is really present um, in like a beautiful way. Um, but also in a very terrifying way, because um, because like in any moment you can just kind of have your life ruined um, in a really profound way. Um, um, so those are those are things that came up. I mean, it's obviously a really beautiful thing to have a child, and I and that seeing that that little person do amazing things and seeing Rowan grow and laugh and like there's something really special about that. Um, but I think that fear is one of the most profound things that I think I've noticed that have come out of this. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. What is your vision musically for fourth you um, in five years? Okay, um, yeah, We'd in like five to keep years. You for five years, at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, exactly, yeah. So, uh, in five years, I want to take what we have and augment it. That's the short answer. Okay. Um, more specifically, through the implementation of a strong choral ensemble. I'm hesitant to use the word choir because that's a little Christian Anglican coded, right? But some sort of choral ensemble that reflects our needs. And of course, um, with that, the implementation, hopefully, um, hopefully of organ back into worship. Um, you know, I, again, this all falls onto what we have currently and to augment it and to do my best in kind of serving um, what we stand for as an institution, right? This is all going to fall under that. Um, so, of course, I'd like to, you know, be fostering uh, a team of volunteers, a team of people that are, are interested in music. And many of you have responded to my initial inquiry that I sent out over email. Um, I think a, a very sizable number of um, people reached out, and I've been meeting so many people individually this month and just kind of getting to know people because I'm still in the kind of onboarding stage, right? Um, so that's been great. That's been a really fun, tangible way for me to um, meet people and kind of act on my idea of wanting to establish, you know, a um, really strong team of volunteers, of course. And then from there, you know, talk about integrating the organ in worship, um, augmenting what we have through the sound of an orchestral palette every week, um, and of course, um, fostering an instrument that is not what we not indicative of who we were in 1904 when the original Hutchings Vody organ was installed, but something that's indicative of who we are and what our community is now in 2023. And, you know, that's why I'm very, um, uh, I'm very specific in saying I'd like to take what we have currently and who we're serving currently and augment it. Um, so those two things, and of course, you know, uh, through the, hopefully through the eventual successful curation of uh, some sort of concert series or something where we, um, you know, we, we really turn forth you and continue to turn forth you into a space 
where you know people who are not, not, not necessarily comfortable in a concert hall or in a church, but some, some sort of third place where people can kind of present something that they have to say artistically. Of course, that includes um, the championing of people in our community. Uh, also, you know, of course, people of color, people that you know have very individual narratives that they can share with us that we might not encounter in our day-to-day -day life. Um, you know, any any sort of like uh, any sort of uh, diversity in thought and what we what I can try to be an intercessor for with the people that are in our community and also. Um, people that are not in our community that can be brought to forth you and kind of see what we stand for. So it'd be just great to be an intercessor for that. And again, this is all just falls under taking what we have, um, you know, what 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 incredible institution this is and serving it, right? So that's the answer. Wonderful. I like to have these ideas, what we can work towards. Thank you for sharing them. Thank all right. And our last question, Skylar, this isn't going to be a tough one for you, but I, I know you can do it. Um, what do you hope your legacy here is going to be at fourth year? Wow. Geez, um, legacy, yeah. Well, I've been here, this is the end of my seventh year. I'll be going on sabbatical in March. Um, and uh, well, you know, my plan is to stick around for a little while, at least. Um, I don't have any plans to leave. Um, so legacy, it's hard to think about legacy. I mean, I, I think this congregation has as a the, its history has is both very grand and also very troubled and so that's an interesting history to have inherited right we had a, a congregation that had an organ funded by the carnegies that had pt barnum as a member and horace greeley who ran for president uh, against grant was a member here um oscar hammerstein attended here when he was a teenager there's a legacy here that's really profound and also like in the last hundred years it's congregation has really struggled. Um, there was a time where it went down to like six people on a Sunday in the 50s. Um, every minister has has basically left unhappily at various points. Um, and so I think coming from those those two things, I mean, I think I would be very happy to leave here feeling like this congregation was vibrant and thriving, that it was healthy, that, and that, 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 that you show up on Sunday and feel like people were happy and and they loved coming here and they left feeling better and that it felt full and a lively place um, and that that life didn't depend on me uh, or and whoever is the minister because I think that can really happen a lot of times. Um, you know, organized religion is dying in this country. It's uh, particularly on sort of the, the liberal mainstream side of things. And so for us to be a counterweight to that, I feel like is really important. Um, I'd love to have this building fixed and restored and we're getting there that you can see all the work happening here and there's going to be work on the plaster we can't fix all the plaster work yet because the roof is still new enough that there may be water dripping down and you can see it getting worse which is that like it's working its way out of the stone but like i want to move when i got here a lot of people talked about this congregation being scrappy and i think that is a sign that's like a word that's that describes a certain you know, uh, survival and endurance against tough odds. And like, I can super admire scrappiness. It's what you have when you have your back against the wall. But I would love us to get from a place of scrappiness to, to vibrancy, um, where people don't come in here and, and, and feel like, oh, this place, sure, they, they're survivors, but they're thrivers. Um, and I would love this congregation. I think, we, I think we've had a lot of, I mean, even in my, my seven years, a lot of adversity. adversity. You know, we, 
We were he, my my first year. We had our we had swastikas carved onto the front doors and a bunch of Nazi hate speech. That was intense. We took in a family for sanctuary and and that was intense. We really didn't know if we would be able to stay here until we raised enough money for our building to fix the roof and and that was intense. Um, and then the pandemic, of course, was a whole other thing. So I would love to get to a point where like we're not reacting to stuff and we're just like we're just here and we're we have a community that's grounded and happy and that. I feel like I could be part of that legacy and that people felt like that continued well after I was gone. But I don't hope that that happens anytime soon. So we have a, we have a long time, I hope. Yeah. Great. 